On Wednesday evening, I began a study of the love of God to look at it in a, from a different angle than we often do because we have to undo the heresies and errors of so many about the love of God. But this is not to look at those things at all, but to look at the greatness of God's love for us and let that comfort our souls and enliven our faith and push us to respond with great joy at the love He has for us. I appreciate the feedback that I got after Wednesday evening from very young to older, appreciating the subject in the presentation, and hopefully we can look at a number of other scriptures today. I told you I was going to go through the slides again from Wednesday evening. I not. I thinned those down by 50, so there's going to be fewer of those. None of the animal slides, and those are biblical Bible stories about animals and the motherly instinct so that we would fully appreciate a mother's instinctive love for her children so that we would understand Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 15, which we will go through again because I want you to remember that verse and then the others. But I want you to remember Isaiah 49 and verse 15. The love of God is what we want to consider and how does God love us? And it's an, a rather inexhaustible subject, and I don't want to try to be exhaustive with it, but we're just going to look at a maybe 50 or 60 examples and comparisons today of God's love for us. As I just said, we've denied heresies before about God's love, but the Bible also exalts the glory of His love and the truth of it, and that's what we want to consider today. If the Bible's read properly, it's a long love letter from God to believers. And from the beginning to the end, it's about His loving care for His people. God's love is infinitely more, His love is infinitely more than any other love could be. And here's a few ways in which it's better. It's passionate. The passion that God has, described by His jealousy, fury, I'm thinking of Ezekiel chapter 16, his jealousy and his fury and the gifts that he gave, the forgiveness that he offers, the, the, the degrees that he forgives us and chases us down. It's passionate. It's powerful. He's able to create us anew inside because of his love for us. It's protective. Protective in life, protective in eternity. It's pampering. The loving kindnesses of the Lord showered upon us every day. It's perpetual in that it never ends. Unlike any other love you've ever known. It's perfect in that it's complete and there's nothing lacking in it. It's precious in that it brought about the death of His own Son and the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us. It's personal, Amen. meaning that it's for you. Right. You individually considered. It's public in that He is not ashamed to call us brethren and to identify us so before the whole world. It is perfecting in that it changes us to be perfect and beautiful because he puts his comeliness upon us. And on the way to church this morning, the Lord reminded me that it is possessive, which everyone wants to be loved by someone that is possessive and gets jealous whenever we stray. And that's what Ezekiel 16 taught. And it is possessive. And we could look at it so many different ways. But the love of God is infinitely more than any other love could be. It is confounding and it is troubling to see Christians chase human love, which cannot even come close. 
They are so worried about losing the love of a spouse, losing the love of a parent, losing the love of a child, when that human love doesn't even come close to God's love for us. If you get God's love first, then the love of others will fall into its proper place and you'll realize the best of the combination. But if you try to put someone else's love up as being important to your existence, important to your happiness, you are a troubled person and you are spiritually confused because you should be content. And a true child of God can be content with God's love toward them. Because any love relationship you have in this world is not going to be taken into the next one. There's no marriage in heaven. The angels don't marry in heaven. But we will be the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our experience teaches us, some of these slides you saw Wednesday, love is a very powerful emotion. It's a very desired emotion. It's a very comforting emotion. We, let's put it this way, we love it when someone loves us. We love being loved. But we are loved. And we're loved by the Most High God. What if God loved us? What if it were true that the Creator God loves us? We would be set. We'd be all set. We'd have everything we need for time and for eternity. Nothing would be able to trouble us. We would be soul satisfied forever. Our souls would be full. They would be fat. We would be content. We would be safe. We would be secure. We'd be fulfilled if God loved us. He does love us. And we need to know it and remember it and bask in it and think about it and read about it in the Bible. What is one of the strongest examples of love we know? And I'm not going to go through all the negative ones, maybe one or two. What is one of the strongest examples of love that we know as men or women? Boys or girls. Oh, well, we've got marriage. You know, a man loves a woman. A woman loves a man. The two of them commit themselves to each other for marriage. We consider that some great example of love. Do you really think so? With so many divorces, dysfunction, adultery, porn problems, and anger, why do you want to tell me that the love between a man and a woman is something special and one of the greatest examples of human love? Do you really think so? When God must use his love to exhort us rather than vice versa, though there are some exceptions. Do you really think so? When there is no marriage in heaven, wouldn't God have taken such wonderful love from earth into heaven? But the angels don't marry and men and women don't marry in heaven. So let's drop that one as some great example of love. It is used in the Bible and it is love. And it's a wonderful thing, but it's inferior to the love of God for us. And there is another example that I want to drive home by making this comparison. I will grant you that a, a man and a woman's love for each other is a special thing in life. But it doesn't compare to God's. And I'm trying to reduce it at the moment for another one that God wants to compare himself to. What is one of the strongest examples of love we know? It's this one. It's this one. It is a mother's doting care, undying affection for her infants, which is created in the womb 
by a bonding that only God fully understands and that men can't appreciate. But women know. So that a woman looks at that little baby that she carried for nine months inside her and then gave birth to it and then nurses it in one of the most intimate transactions that takes place. And the Lord knows all this. Remember, even the sea monsters pull out the breast to nurse their young. And I gave you pictures of sea monsters nursing their young on Wednesday evening. And I hope that you'll not forget those pictures. Those slides will be available in the comprehensive 260 slide presentation that will be on our website. This doting love, little Johnny there is pretty happy with mommy doting on him like that. But the Lord wants us to look at that doting mother and there's so many pictures of them and our church is filled with good doting mothers. The Lord wants to make the comparison. A mother's love and compassion for an infant son is one of the strongest loves we know. Remember all the examples I gave you. Why does the Bible use as an example of great fury and violence a she-bear robbed of her whelps? Because it's a mother's instinct that causes a bear to be ferocious if her cubs are messed with. And I showed you pictures of that. And the Bible reasons, and I gave you lots of other, other examples, Solomon was able to determine very easily and very quickly which was the mother of the living child by saying, let's cut it in half and give half to each. Because he knew what was at play. What was at play was a mother's love for her child, and the true mother would be willing to give up her child to an enemy to save its life. Remember all those things from Wednesday evening. Our God, our God, the creator God of heaven and earth, the God of the Bible, is the dreadful and terrible God as he is described in the Bible by men who know him. He says that he is a man of war in an inspired song in Exodus 15. Yet, God chose a mother's doting affection of an infant son to describe his love for us. Isn't that special? Amen. He's a man of war. Exodus 15, 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. We're not taking a single thing away from him. He is a man of war. He's the great and dreadful God. He's the great and terrible God. And yet he chose to compare his love to a mother's love of an infant son. When you are discouraged, and you will get discouraged, and I get discouraged, when you're fearful, or when you're lonely, God hears you. That is comforting in itself. God hears you. You don't even have to say a word. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 2 that the sighing of Israel came up into his ears. He has your tears in a bottle. He numbers all your wanderings. When you're discouraged or you're fearful or you're lonely, God hears you. Here's him hearing Zion, the Old Testament church. Zion said, and God heard, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Sometimes you're going to feel forsaken and forgotten, but the Lord hears. And here's his answer in a moment. Here's his response, and I hope you'll never forget it. I hope you will face life and eternity with it. 
And I appreciate some of the young lasses who wrote the young girls and told me that they would never forget it. And older ones as well told me they would never forget it. Because that's why it's in the Bible. As much as you can count on a mother's love, that you can go home to mommy, and mommy is going to accept you, love you, dote on you, and take care of you, so with the Lord. Can a woman forget her sucking child? Go back here. Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me. My Lord hath forgotten me. The Lord hears it. And the Lord says, Can a woman forget her sucking child? What is the answer to that? No. The the rhetorical answer to the rhetorical question is no. That woman cannot forget her sucking child. She can't do it. It's contrary to her nature. No, she cannot forget her sucking child. Then the Lord added, Can a woman not have compassion on the son of her womb? Can a mother not have compassion on her son, her infant son? Impossible. The answer is no. So we have two questions. Can a woman forget her sucking child? No. Can she stop having compassion in the son of her womb? No. She cannot lose compassion for the son of her womb. And here's what the Lord says. We've got a no. This can't happen. No. And then the Lord says, yea, they may forget. Even though it's contrary to nature, even though the answer to the rhetorical questions is no and no, yea, they may forget. And oh, when they forget, that's what you look like and that's what I look like. That's what I look like. That's when mommy gave my brother a toy and forgot me. Yea, they may forget. This is the Lord reasoning with us. When you're thinking that you're forsaken, and when you're thinking that you've been forgotten, the Lord says, listen, can a woman forget her sucking child? No, Lord. Can a mother forget and not, no longer have compassion on the son of her womb? No, Lord. Well, they may. They may. Mothers, no matter how loving, are not perfect. And they may fall short of perfect love of their sons. And so here's what the Lord says, Yet will I not forget thee. Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. This is how God, in this passage, wants us to consider his love for us, like a mother's love for an infant. God will never forget you. He is better than the best mother. This is the love of God and his compassion and his remembering you and me as given to us in Isaiah 49. This is his word of love. And what a word of love is it? You should learn the verse. Memorize the verse. Can a woman forget her sucking child? Can a mother stop having compassion on the son of her womb? I hope you won't forget it. I hope you'll face life and eternity with it, to know that God considers us that way. Look at the verse again in its entirety. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, They may forget, yet will I not forget thee.
I won't be like that. I'll never forget thee. This is his word of love to you. Let's admire, let's encourage, and let's learn theology from our mothers in this church. We have many wonderful mothers in our church that greatly love or have loved in the past their infant children. And I shared two of our exceptional, we have two exceptional mothers in our church that have exceptional love, cheer, eagerness, devotion to their sons. They provide a constant reminder of God's love from the text that he gave us last week. Can these mothers in our church, can these two exceptional mothers that we went over on Wednesday evening forget their sons and not show them compassion? No, no, no. It's impossible, though they might. This is how the Lord reasons with us. It's not possible, but they might. And in the case that they might, God will never forget you or fail to have compassion on you. And this is what he wants you to think about regarding his love for you. The creator God, the man of war, loves us like a mother loves an infant son. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Our God did not stop there. In Isaiah 49 with verse 15, he said in verse 16, Behold, not only will I be like a mother, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. God has engraved on the palms, has you engraved on the palms of his hands. He has engraved. You know, you can write with pencil on on your hand and in two days it's gone. You can write with ink on your hand and in one week it's gone. Engraving doesn't go away. I have engraven you on the palms of my hands. He is constantly aware of your situation in life. This is right here. Thy walls are continually before me. That's the situation of a city. That was Zion. That was the Old Testament church. Thy walls are continually before me. He is constantly aware of your situation in life. Isn't that wonderful? A mother is very limited in her knowledge of your life. You have to tell her. Because she doesn't know that much. But the Lord is constantly aware. And he didn't stop there. That was verse 16, but he didn't stop there. He went to verse 17. Thy children shall make haste. Thy destroyers and they that made thee waste, those are enemies, shall go forth of thee. He will expand and prosper you quickly in a hurry. He's going to explode you in prosperity. You wait till we finish the book of Isaiah. And we get to some more verses along this line about how many children are born instantly and quickly when God says the word. It's coming. There are so many verses like this in the book of Isaiah. And I hope that you can see that we'll be coming to Isaiah 49 again in a a few months. Mm -hmm. He will eliminate your enemies that hurt you and send them far away. That's what his promise is in verse 17. God's incredible love and care for you should bring a response. We should have some sort of a response to a God that loves us like a doting mother and who's constantly aware of our situation and who has engraven us in the palms of his hands. And here's the response. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, 
Break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people, and he'll have mercy upon his afflicted. And see, that is verse 13. So it is a five-verse passage in Isaiah 49, verses 13 through 17. But it starts with the thanksgiving and praise, and then explains the degree of comfort and the kind of mercy that God would show his children. Here are the five verses together. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me. My Lord hath forgotten me. The Lord says to Zion, Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Thy children shall make haste. You're going to be growing and prospering. And thy destroyers and enemies, I'll make them go forth of thee, and they'll be far away. David wrote us a very related rule about God's love for us. Psalm 27 and verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. What's his appeal there? His appeal is to the fact that fathers and mothers, good fathers and mothers, ordinary fathers and mothers, would never forsake their children. But when that happens, when the most endearing, protective relationship you have forsakes you, then the Lord will take me up. So he compares it to the best he can in life for our little minds. And then he says, when they forsake you, I won't. When they leave you, I'll stay with you. How does God love you? Now you know. And that was Wednesday evening. Now you know how God loves you. He loves you more than your mother did. And he can do, has done, and will do much more for you in the way of prosperity and protection than she ever could do. Amen and amen. amen. What a God. And the Creator wants us to think of him like a mother in this sense. That he loves us, he will not forsake us, he will not forget us, and he will not stop having compassion on us. What other ways does God compare and reveal his love? He has shown us a few more. There are more angles or traits for us to think about the love of God. But let us never forget the one that God has shown us by mothers. And thank God for it. Thank God for the fact that he gave us a living example, and there are a number of them in our church, of how God loves us. And so that when you see a mother doting on her infant and caring for him, and you hear that she has nursed that child in the last 24 hours 12 times, and you're thinking, oh no, really? Just think about the Lord. Just think about the Lord. How often has the Lord come to you in the last 24 hours? Let's be real here. How many times have you been standing at the edge of the crib whining like that picture of me or that picture of you? How many times have we been whining and the Lord has come to us and taken care of us? Thank you, blessed God, for giving us such a doting example of your love for us. Let's get this transcendent fact. 
I am not going to number these, but uh, you can count on this being number one. Let's get this transcendent fact. We are talking about the love of God for us. We are leaving mothers. I have told you there are other angles for us to consider, but let's not forget the one about mothers, except for right now. Let's move to another one. God loves His Son, Jesus of Nazareth. Very much. For many reasons. But, that God, our Creator, sent His Son that He loved to the cruel death of the cross for you. That is the highest measure of His love for us. The death of His Son for us. Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, lo, a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God loves Jesus of Nazareth because he is his son and for other reasons of righteousness and character and integrity and always doing those things that pleased him. On the Mount of Transfiguration, while Peter was speaking things that he shouldn't have said, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So again we have the same words. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Peter, you're off base. Peter, you're thinking the wrong thing about making three tabernacles, one for Moses and one for Elijah. They are not like my Son. God loved His Son the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father loveth the Son. Preaching through the Gospel of John to you, I appreciated John 3 and John 5, where it tells us that the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into His hand. This Father loves that Son. Our God loves Jesus of Nazareth. That is wrong. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world of his elect, of Jews and Gentiles, that he gave his only begotten son, not to come and live among us, to come and die for us, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This describes the love of God. This is a so that comparison in English. God so loved the world that God loved the world in this way, in this respect, by this description. He gave His only begotten Son. He, speaking of God again from Romans chapter 8, He that spared not His own Son, His own Son, but delivered Him up. Delivered Him up where? Delivered Him up from earth to heaven? Or delivered Him up to the Jews and the Romans? Delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? That gift was so great that everything else will be given to us because the biggest part of it was given in the gift of His Son. This is God's love for us. This is what the Bible describes. This is transcendent drama. God chose to create the universe and to allow sinners and to plan for sinners. It's called the plan of sin in the eternal phase of redemption, and to send His Son 
and to die a cruel death for us. It is a drama, and it's being played out in the universe for 6,000 years now, and it's about to come to its climactic conclusion, which I preached to you as I ended the Gospel of John, that the value of the cross will not be seen and will not be understood until the day of judgment. But in the day of judgment, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ will be understood. Right now, they're words to you. And I fear that they're just mere words to you. That God gave His Son. That God loved His Son. That God delivered up His Son. But they need to be more than mere words. You need to embrace them by faith and love of the God that loved you so much that He gave His Son. What do you give up for Him? He gave His Son for you. Lord, help us. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. A manifest is something that reveals what is hidden. This shows us the love of God toward us. Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins by dying on the cross of Calvary. This is God's love. An incredible transaction. And you worry and you wonder when in prayer you ask for some little soap bubble, some little trinket in your life. And I'm not making fun of trinkets. I'm making fun of prayer requests that don't remember this. Because if God gave His Son, anything else He gives is nothing in comparison. Greater love hath no man than this. Well, that certainly helps our subject. How does God love us? With a greater love than any man can have, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But now you know something from other places in Scripture that Jesus didn't lay down his life for his friends in some respects. He laid down his life for his enemies. God's love. God's love will do much more for you than any earthly father would do for his own children. Let's move on. I just gave you the verses that God loves his son. And God loved his son dearly. And he delivered him up. He stood back and delivered him to the Jews and the Romans to falsely accuse him, to torment him, to ridicule him, to mock him, to spit on him, to smack him in the face, and to crucify him on a cross. That's his love for us. Unbelievable. Unbelievable drama playing out in the universe. If I was to ask you how much you love me, and please forgive the illustration. This is why I don't give them. If I was to ask you how much you love me, and I'd, I'd ask, will you kill your dog for me? Some of you would have a serious problem. Killing a dog for me. Would you pull it apart for me? God had his son pulled apart right. for me. Incredible. Number two, God's love will do much more, much more for you than any good earthly father would do for his own children. We had mothers, now it's time for daddies. Now it's time for fathers. 
Or what man is there of you? Jesus addressed his audience of the Jews. What man is there of you? Whom, if his son were to ask bread, will he give him a stone? How many of you men standing here that are fathers, if your son asked bread from you, would you give him a stone? Or, if your son asked fish, would you give him a serpent or a snake? How many of you fathers would do that? If you fathers, then, being evil, you're sinners, you're totally unlike your Father in heaven. If ye then, fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, here we go, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Now, I know that half of you already know this verse, or two-thirds of you already know this verse, and you already rely on it to some degree. Just remember the other third that don't. This is why I have to preach to a whole congregation from children up. This is why we have family worship. I want you to notice these three verses are wonderful. And if every father in here would just think about it, I picked one of my sons as an example in my mind as I was meditating upon this text in my office and wondered if that son wrote me a note and asked me for an hour, Dad, could you free an hour that I could come by and talk to you? And I'm nothing. I, here's, here's where I am in this verse. I just want you to know. Right here. Am I highlighting it enough? If ye then being evil. I would write back and say, I've cleared my calendar. I've got the afternoon for you. Come and spend some time with me. If your son came to you and said, I found a car, Dad, will you come and look at it? And you go and find a bucket of bolts. And your son says, this is all I have in savings right now. $1,000 for this bucket of bolts. How many of you would go home and get online very quickly and find something for 2000 and put up the rest of the money so it's not quite the bucket of bolts? Now, the point I'm trying to make is the opposite of the verse. Because the verse is, your son asks bread, who's going to give him a stone? But you know, I wish that one of my sons would ask me for bread this afternoon. I'll deliver pizza to your door. And pizza's better than bread. And if you don't like pizza, I'll bring you a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. Isn't, listen, is there any father in here different than me? Aren't we all the same? If they were to ask us something like that, kindly ask us, wouldn't we want to go get them something equal or better? How much more is how the Lord reasons with us. If you being evil know how, I'm sorry that I underlined too much. Don't worry. I hear about it when I get home in a very loving way. I'm sorry for covering up all the words by the time I get done. But uh, please follow with me. If ye then being evil know how, we know how, and he's not evil. He's our holy heavenly father. He know much more, much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him. What kind of a relationship can you have with that being? Can it be fantastic? He knows how to give good gifts. He knows how to give better gifts. You say, well, I just don't know that he wants to. He gave the gift of his son. That means he's going to give you everything else you possibly need. And then a whole lot more than what you need. 
He gives us so much more than what we need every day of our lives. What a verse. Don't forget it. So we got mommies and we've got daddies. And they're both inferior to the God that loves us. God's love will also consider your weaknesses like a good father will do. I love this passage. God's love will also, in addition to giving you at least as good or better than your request, He will consider your weaknesses like a good father does. Here we go. I love to remind the Lord of this one. Like as a father. So we've got the, we had, the, we had a mother. Can a woman forget her sucking child? A father pities his children. You know, a father doesn't expect from a five-year-old what he expects from a 12-year-old. A father doesn't expect from a 12-year-old what he expects from a 20-year-old. Like as a father pitieth his children and recognizes their weaknesses and faults. This is not an so that. This is an as so. In the very same way that a father pities his children, in that very way, the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knoweth our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I thank God that he loves me that way, that he remembers my faults. He remembers my weaknesses. And he takes them into consideration so that when I do something and it's not perfect and it only measures up to be 85%, if it were graded out, it's acceptable to him because he knows my frame and he remembers that I'm dust. And so he pities me. That's wonderful love. You can take great confidence in that God and great comfort. God, unlike men, each time I come to a new oval, it's a new point about the love of God. God unlike men, has love that causes his heart to turn and his bowels burn to repent and forgive. Natural man wants a pound of flesh when he's been wronged. Natural man can hold bitterness and grudges when you wrong them, especially if you wrong them a few times. Have you wronged God a few times? or a few more than a few times, or many more than a few times. God, unlike men, has love that causes his heart to turn and his bowels burn to repent and forgive. You say, is that one in the Bible? I think so. Let's go to the next slide and see. Hosea 11. When Israel was a child... They were slaves in Egypt. Then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, that's the prophets, as the prophets taught them, so they went from them. They were a disobedient and rebellious people. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. This is a, this is a loving father with disobedient children guiding them back into righteousness. I taught Ephraim. I took them by their arms. They didn't know that I healed them, that I was the one moving them back into the way of righteousness. Brethren, are all of you willing to admit that about yourself? I'll admit it about me. I thank God for taking me by the arms in my life and putting me back in the way of righteousness. Look at this. I drew them with the cords of a man. The way of a man with a maid. Love 
gentleness, graciousness. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, is how I moved them and drew them back into my way, back into relationship with me. And I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws. That is an ox that is muzzled. Do you know what that ox feels like when you rip that muzzle off at the end of a day of work and let him into the grain? That's, that's what the Lord's... I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. I fixed a meal for them. Look at this wonderful passage of Scripture. This is the love of God for His church. This is the love of God for His people. You know about Ephraim. They were sinners in the north. They were the ten tribes. And you read about them last evening called Samaria in Ezekiel chapter 16. But God drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. And look at the prosperity he gave them. He led them beside the still waters. He led them in green pastures. He prepared a table before them in the presence of their enemies. Let's keep going. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? What's the answer to that rhetorical question? How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? There isn't any way to give, her, give Ephraim up. How shall I deliver thee to thine enemies, Israel? He can't. How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? What are those two places, Adma and Zeboim? Two cities of the plain, neighbor cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. How can I burn you up completely like I did Sodom and Gomorrah? Notice this. How shall I give thee up? I can't. How shall I deliver thee? I can't. How shall I make thee like Sodom and Gomorrah? I can't. How shall I make thee like Sodom I can't. Mine heart, God has a heart. Mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. My heart burns to forgive you. My heart burns to turn and show you kindness. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God, and we are talking about the love of God, and I am not a man that holds grudges and bitterness. The Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. I will not come into your city to judge you. I am going to bless you. I'm going to take the muzzle or the yoke off your mouth so that you can eat. I'm going to set a table before you because my heart is burning in me to show you kindness even though you have rebelled against me. This is the God of the Bible. This is His love. Because I am God. And I'm not a man. Who's the most forgiving person in here? We ought to find out who the most forgiving person is and we'll just all make a conspiracy to irritate them a few times over the next few weeks and see what happens. You know what will happen? We'll learn the truth of this verse. For I am God and not man. Because we'll find out that all of us, uh, we do not like getting offended very many times. What a text. For I am God and not man. Mine heart, up here in verse 8, mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I'm burning, wanting to forgive you and show you kindness. Then someone tells me, I've... I've just sinned too much. I don't think God can forgive me. Come on, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 
Look at places like this in the Bible. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. I don't want to turn the slide. Just to turn it backward. When Israel was a child, then I loved him. Who had the most faith when they got to the edge of the Red Sea? Israel or the Egyptians? Egyptians. <laughs> but I loved them, and I called my son out of Egypt. The, the Egyptians thought they could get through just fine. Israel didn't see a chance. I taught Ephraim also to go. I took them by their arms. They knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. I won them. I chased them. I showed them my love and I won theirs. God is better at love than a good father by better use of chastening for better motives. Hebrews 12. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son, notice, son, whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Any loving father chastens sons. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all sons are partakers, then are ye bastards, and not sons. We know that. The Lord chastens us. So from time to time, we have events in our lives that we don't like, we don't appreciate until we come to this passage and realize that it's God chastening us and it's His proof of hatred, proof of disinterest, proof of love toward us. And if we didn't have it, then we'd be bastards and not sons. And we want to be declared to the universe as sons, like Romans chapter 8 describes, and not bastards, continuing in the same place. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, earthly fathers, which corrected us, chastened us. We gave them reverence, because sons should reverence fathers. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? If we've given earthly fathers who've corrected us and chastened us reverence, how much more should we give reverence to God? For they, verily for a few days, you know, until you're 20 or 30 and out of the house, whatever, chastened us after their own pleasure. But He, that is our God, chastens us for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. When God chastens us, it is for the noble end and the purpose of making us holy like Him, that we would be holy like He is holy. Dads can chasten children because they had a bad day. Dads can chasten children because they're angry. Dads can chasten children because they disappointed them in the public eye. Dads can chasten for all kinds of personal reasons, but God chastens for our profit. And that's the distinction that he wants to make here about his love. You know, a dad can lose it. 
and when an offense deserves five strokes, can give 25 strokes. But not the Lord. Right. It's all perfectly administered. And it's all perfectly administered for our profit instead of someone's pleasure. It's for our profit. That's how God loves us. So when we're being chastened, we should be able to bask in it and thank Him for it and correct whatever is out of line with Him and get back in the way of righteousness. And his lo- this, is, this is as bad as His love gets. If, you want, if I can use the word bad that way. This is as bad as His love gets. He's chastening you, but it's proof that He loves you. And He's doing it for your profit. That doesn't sound bad at all. So I guess what I just said is, the worst that God's love can be is good and profitable. Earthly parents got stuck with us. I remind my father of that often. Earthly earthly parents got stuck with us because they didn't choose us. And it was just the luck of the lottery. You buy a ticket, nine months later, you check its numbers. If you know what I mean. So that's why I don't give illustrations. <laughs> Earthly parents got stuck with us, but God chose us to love us. Yeah. Do you like that? Yeah. It's intentional love. Well, my parents didn't have any other choice. I was their baby. She had to nurse me. She had to change me. She had to love me. She didn't pick me. The Lord picked me. Right. She got stuck with me. You can, you can try to reason that way. And for the, for the sake of this particular point, go ahead, because that's what I'm trying to do with you. But the Lord chose you first. Look at this in Deuteronomy 7. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. This is Moses telling the nation of Israel, the Old Testament church. You're a holy people to the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now what if you knew that your mommy went into an orphanage where there were three billion babies, one and a half billion boys in the boys' dorm and one and a half billion girls in the girls' dorm. And mommy said, I'm speaking about myself rather than picking on Adam Wells. And mommy said, ah, I'll take a boy this time. So she goes in and goes from crib to crib for 1.5 billion boys, and she picks me. Now that'd be special, wouldn't it? But my mommy didn't do anything like that. My mommy woke up one day to know that I was, I was her son, and then he was her son as well. But notice what the Bible says about the Lord. He chose us. He didn't get stuck with us. There was no accident. There was no coincidence. There was no chance event. He chose us. It's, it's intentional love. Human love is usually dependent on character, conduct, or benefits. I'm not talking about a mommy at this point. That make a person lovable. But God chose to love without such things. Because let's go back to that passage this way. 
Here's verse 6. Thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. That is incredibly wonderful. Right. Above all people. Above the other 1.5 billion he chose that are upon the face of the earth. God chose Israel. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were lovable. Because ye were more in number than any people. God did not set his love on you or choose you because ye were lovable, but because you were unlovable. For ye were the fewest of all people, you were the weakest of all nations. And why did he set his love on you? Because the Lord loved you. Amen. That's intentional as it can get. The Lord is entirely intentional in his love toward us. He chose us to love us. And he didn't choose us because of anything in us or any lovableness about us or any, any glory that we had, but because we didn't have any. Praise his glorious name. I hope that you'll remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that it tells us that God hath chosen the base things of this world and the foolish things of this world and the poor things of this world and the foolish things of this world to bring to naught the things that are because it's intentional. He chose us intentionally to love us. Human love is usually dependent on character, conduct, benefits that make a person lovable. That's why we have a rated date sheet. It's absolutely true. But God chose to love without us being lovable. Look at this text. Titus 3. For we ourselves, Paul said, were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures. That isn't very good. That isn't very lovable. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. What would you want to give a person that lives in malice and envy and is hateful and hates everybody else? What would you want to feel toward them? What would you want to do toward them? Love them? But after that, this is the next verse. After that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Amen. We were hateful, hating one another, living in malice and envy. That is as unlovable as a loving God could ever see, but he chose to love us. After that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. You know, for this congregation to get along as it does and for us to love each other, it is because the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared and changed us. Because by nature we were no better than Paul, and Paul said he was living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving us when we were not lovable. God's love reached into a womb and chose one twin and rejected the other. And there is absolutely no unrighteousness in his choice. Right. Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, is how it's worded in Romans chapter 9. And not only this, meaning Abraham and Sarah, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, the children, two twins, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. This is the love of God, and he has chosen to set his love upon us. 
There are vessels of mercy and there are vessels of wrath. And he's chosen to set his love on us. We should be shouting glory that he chose to love us. If the truth be told, you know, in in my case, your case, we're worse than Esau, but he chose us. God loves us and gladly sacrifices others for our benefit and good. Do you remember this from earlier in the year? I gave Egypt for thy ransom. I am the Lord thy God. I want you to know how much I love you, God says. I am the Holy One of Israel. I am thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. I bought you and made you mine by trashing Egypt and destroying them. Ethiopia and Seba I gave for thee. Be sense, thou wast precious in my sight. That is not because we're precious. It's because God has chosen to consider us as precious. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable. We are not honorable by nature. He considers us honorable. I have loved thee since. I have loved thee because I chose that you were precious. I made you important to me. You were honorable to me. I've loved you. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Do you remember that one? Do you remember Isaiah 43? Do you remember it? I will give men for thee and people for thy life. Jumping over to Exodus 19. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. And we're a kingdom of priests today by the Lord Jesus Christ, chosen to be that. Because the Lord has made vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. Amen. What if God, and this is one of the truest axioms in the universe, and one of the most dramatic in our lives. What if God, willing to show His wrath, make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? In God's drama, there are human vessels fitted to destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. God had predestinated some vessels of humanity to be vessels of mercy and for eternal glory, and others to show his wrath and his power. He did it because they were sinners. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And there we are. When we think about this, God loves us and gladly sacrifices others for our benefit and good. He did it for Israel with Egypt. He did it with Israel and he offered them more, that they would be a peculiar treasure above all people. And I want you to remember that he has vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. And he has vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared into glory. What a loving God we have. 
the choices that he made for us are unbelievable, unprecedented, incomparable to any other love we have ever even imagined. This is the love of God for us. When Paul gets to the end of this 11 chapters of describing the mercies of God, how does he start verse 1 of chapter 12? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the first 11 chapters of Romans, that you give your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. With this love for us, what kind of love should we show him? May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.